Welcome to the BBC, a wax cast based on collaboration, not competition. Between Both Cheeks is a world filled with beauty, bums, and billions of bucks. The hosts of the BBC are Luba, the badass boss bitch, creator and owner of international brands and beauty salons. Becca, once newbie and now experienced enforcer, she's hatched out of her egg and manages business with authority and a smile. And Ashley, a straight, shooting, spicy Italian. Hot off the global circuit, she's got expertise to share. Welcome to the BBC. Bring me your balls. No, Kelly Clarkson! Hello, everybody. This is the BBC Between Both Cheeks. Yes, we mean those cheeks. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Between Both Cheeks and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iHeartArt, iTunes, or wherever you tune into your favorite show. We are super excited today because we have an incredible guest, Jen Rosenbaum. Yes. <laughs> Rosen, so close. Rosenbaum. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so, of course, I am your host, Luba, and I have Becca with me today. Um, we are so honored, so blessed that you said yes to this podcast because you wrote such an incredible book. And not only are you an author, but you're a photographer, you're a breast cancer survivor, warrior. You have your own podcast. I do. You're doing <laughs> all of the things. So I want to talk about all of them. Um, one of the things I do kind of, well, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so <laughs> much for having me. I'm very honored that you asked. And um, I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I read your book and Thank it you. is, oh my God, where did I, what the fuck just happened? Yes. Right. Incredible, <laughs> title. T- incredible title. And I, I'm thinking if I remember correctly, when, when did it actually get published or when was it available for download? It was um, this year. Well, 2020, it was uh, toward the end of 2020. Okay. So I remember very specifically looking for cancer books because I was diagnosed at the beginning of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and your book came up, but it wasn't available yet. So I waited and waited and waited for the download on Kindle. Yeah. So it, it was, it was a wait for me. I, Um, it was my, it was my pandemic project. It was, I started writing it in like February and I'm actually in that way. So grateful for the pandemic because I'm not writing a book is, is hard and time consuming. And I actually only really found the time for it because of the pandemic. Otherwise, I'm not sure I would have even really happened. Right, right. It's an incredible book. Um, I know when I was reading it, I was still going through everything. So I was like, is this really true? Is this really going to turn out this way? And then I reread it after my treatment was done. And it was very, very accurate on so many levels. And you touch, you know, based on so many things that are so important that I want to dive into as well, but what made you write the book? Yeah. So uh, first of all, I'm so glad that you enjoyed it and that it resonated with you. And although it's like a weird thing to say, I'm glad it resonated with you because so much, you know, uh, tough stuff in there, but I'll tell you what made me write the book. Um, When I was going through cancer treatment in 2017, I finished on December 27th, 
2017. And it was vitally important for me to finish before the end of the year, because I was like, well, when the new year rings in, my new life is going to ring in and everything's going to be fine. And it's going to go back to normal. And, you know, there was expectations put on me for that from other people too, right? Like Jen, I see that you're, you're the kind of woman who's going to run a marathon after this. And you're going to, you know, like, this isn't going to hold you down. And what happened was um, about three weeks after my treatment ended, um, I was having a really, really, really bad day, <laughs> really bad day. And, and I was just one of those days where you're under the covers, you can't stop crying. I had never experienced that. I'm a very upbeat person. I've never really dealt with tremendous anxiety or depression or anything like that. I'm very lucky in that way. And I just called my doctor and I said, I'm going to kill myself. I am having very serious suicidal thoughts. There is something wrong with me. I need your help this is it. You know, I remember laying in bed thinking I am, I am doing my family a disservice by being alive. And, mm. you know, I, I need, I, I to put the burden on them and all of this. They, they shouldn't have to live with this. I, I, you know, for me, it's hard, but for them, it's even harder. Um, thankfully there was that little voice in my head that said, you know, call the doctor. This isn't normal. This isn't who you are. Um, but I'll tell you, it didn't, it didn't end there as far as, um, you know, obviously I, I sought out treatment and therapy and all the things and I, I was okay. Um, I was very well, well aware of the fact that this was an adjustment period. But the point is that I started going out in the world and, and people were like, oh, you're good now, right? You're good. You're, you're happy. You're, you're healed. You should be so happy. And I felt dead inside. I mean, I was like, nobody told me I was going to feel dead. What we see in the world is that people and their cancer treatments. And they're like, I'm a survivor. I'm a warrior. I'm going to do all these amazing things. And that does exist. But also there's this very dark side of like, who am I? How do I fall back into my life? My, my life is completely different. I'm completely different. How do you just go back, especially for women, my age, I'm in my forties that are like also sometimes taking care of parents, taking care of children. Um, you know, it's very, it was a very difficult time for me. I didn't know how to fall back into my life. And when I admitted to people that I was having a hard time, I got a lot of shame. Well, you should yeah. just be happy you're alive. You should, you should be so, people aren't as lucky as you. How could you feel like that? Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? Nobody's talking about this. Like I, I don't, I didn't feel anybody was talking about it. I didn't feel I was warned. I didn't feel that I was prepared. And I felt that nobody was really talking about it since people have been talking about it more. I see it more and more but nobody really talks about life after cancer. And especially if you're lucky enough to be a survivor, um, when people just think you should just go back to like being happy and awesome. And, and you're like, literally what the fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got, I've just got so much to say about that because people really do think that it's, it's just over. I was very specific too in my treatment. My last treatment was December 23rd and it had to be done for the new year. Right. Ve like very, very similar to your situation. Well, especially in 2020 sister. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> like let's just leave that yeah. shit in 2020. <laughs> exactly. So I wanted it to be done. I was going to go back to a normal life mm -hmm. and people expect you to go back to this normal life, but it's not like that at all. I mean, even just some, some of the side effects that continue, like my hands are still really gimpy. It's hard for me to open boxes or like hold on to stuff or, you know, my skin or my sex life or what, like all of this other stuff that continues to have an effect because of the chemo, the radiation, the mental state that you're in. No one talks about that. People just expect you to be done with it back to normal. And then I always got, well, you're so strong. You'll get, and I, 
fucking hated that word so much through everything. It took a lot of strength to get through stuff, but I was so tired of people being like, oh, you're so strong. You'll be fine. You're the strongest person I know. I love that line. <laughs> I'm also the person that didn't have another option. <laughs> so right. it's like, <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, it does take strength to get through it. But also when people say that there's an implied shame in you're not being strong at moments Yes, and nobody understands that. I didn't understand it, but I'm just gonna be honest. Like before I went to cancer, I didn't understand. I would have been one of the people that was like, you're a warrior. You're so strong. Yeah. I would have been like that too. Um, you know, but yeah, there's something about it. It's like, there's a, there's a very large population of the, especially I can, I can speak about the breast cancer, cancer community. It's very open and very verbal about what they're going through and showing it and talking about it. And then there's a very large population that's silently suffering that isn't talking about it, that you might not even know somebody has cancer and that's okay too. So when we say things like, oh, you're so strong, you're so brave for doing it this way, we're, we're innately shaming people that are doing it another way. And the truth is there's no right way to do cancer. Right. You know, right. you just have to do what feels good to you in the moment. Absolutely. For sure. Talk about when you were diagnosed and what that was like for you and what type of breast cancer you had. Yeah. You know, thank you. It's been four years and sometimes I'm still like, was I diagnosed with cancer? It's so yeah. weird. I don't really think that happened. Um, so I am a photographer, as you mentioned, and um, I have been getting, there's a reason why I'm telling you that. And I've been getting mammograms since I'm 40 every six months, because every six months, the doctor had seen something like a calcification or a cyst or whatever. And because I'm Long Island, on Long Island and because I'm an Ashkenazi Jew, um, I'm at a very high risk of breast cancer. So from those things, um, so they just really watched me very carefully. So in January, 2017, I had a mammogram sonogram. Everything was okay. I had some cysts and he said, look, let's just have you back in six months to take a look at those cysts. Just make sure they're all right. Somewhere between January, I I think it was about between February and April, somewhere in that area. I don't really remember. I took a selfie and in the selfie, I saw like a weird shadow up here, like a weird bump, something I never would have noticed if I wasn't a photographer. And I started kind of feeling around. I'm like, what is that? And I felt this mass. It wasn't a lump like we're taught to feel. It wasn't like that pea-sized thing. It, it felt like a um, like a, an, a swollen muscle or something like that. It was long. It was like from here to here. It was long. It just felt so weird. Hard. Yeah. And I was just like, this is just so weird. It kind of felt like it was coming and going, but it turned out actually my breasts were just very cystic. So like if I was getting my period, they would swell and I wouldn't feel it as much. And then when it went away, my period went away, I'd be like, oh, there it is again. It's back, you know? So what happened was in July, 2017, I had a sonogram to check the cysts and, you know, I didn't call my doctor at the time. Cause I thought, what, like, what could it be? It's not a big deal. It's a swollen muscle. So in July, 2017, when I went to get my cyst checked, she checked it. They said, everything looks good. And I swear, I almost forgot about the spot. And I said on my way out, I go, oh shoot, you know what, before I leave, can you do me a favor and just see what, like, if anything's going on up here? So she takes the sonogram machine she's looking, looking, nothing. All of a sudden she presses so hard and this giant black hole shows up on the screen. And I was like, what is that? And she was like, I need to go get the doctor. I'll be right back. Doctor comes in, says to me, we're not letting you leave without a biopsy. They put a titanium marker in. I had a mammogram. You could not see any cancer. You could see the titanium marker, no cancer. 
And he said, I need to do a biopsy, did a biopsy. Two days later, he called me and said um, that I had invasive lobular carcinoma. Um, I had a seven centimeter mass and another three centimeter mass underneath it that did not show up on a mammogram. For anybody that doesn't know, seven centimeters is gigantic. Yes. Um, so, and God knows if it was there in January and they just missed it. I mean, it was a very easy thing to miss. It was a weird place. It was very high in my breast. Um, so I was diagnosed and, you know, I just don't know. I mean, look, he warned me. He said to me, um, after he did the biopsy, like, this is cancer. I don't need the biopsy to come back. I know this is cancer. I've seen enough in my lifetime to know. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, like I just, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me like what that even meant. I had no history of cancer in my family. I have no genetics. I have like, there's, I was 41 years old. I drank green juice every day. I did yoga. I meditated. I was healthy. Like why, why would I have cancer? I don't understand. I don't, I don't think I understood the impact of what he was telling me until after I went through everything I went through and I was like, oh, that's why people cry, <laughs> you know, because th there's a moment of like, okay, look, the, the worst part is sort of that week from like, um, diagnosis to prognosis where you're like, am I dying or mm -hmm. am I going to be okay? So yeah. I feel like once I heard like, you're not going to die from this, at least not today, then I was like, okay, we got this. That's fine. And so it took a little bit of a pressure off, but I didn't realize, I think, how long of a journey I was in for and how hard it was going to be until I was actually going through it. So the, the, my first response wasn't really maybe what you would think your first response was. I cried a lot the first week. And then after that, I was like, I got this. I'm good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to handle this. I love that you said that because I read in your book, I'm going to see if I can grab it from, uh, from the page. But one of the things that you said is that, here it is. Uh, since the day I was diagnosed, I barely cried. I wanted to, but I couldn't. Yeah. Even now, sometimes I'm like, why did I not cry more? Why have I not cried? And I do think part of it is because if I start, I'll just never stop. <laughs> It'll just be like, whoosh. And I, I had the complete opposite. I cried every chemo appointment, pretty much like 80% of my radiation appointments. I cried at the hot, like I cried all the time. And I, like, I was not a crier before, but like, this was like this, like released ever, I mean, I'm crying now. I'm like, I'm, I'm a freaking mess all the time now, but I found that like mind blowing to me. I didn't cry when I got the news. Like when I got that call on, you know, Sunday afternoon from my doctor, I just went very quiet. Right. Um, and then like when my fiance got home, I started to cry at that point, but yeah, yeah I didn't that cry the day of diagnosis either. I was just like, okay, well, what do we need to do? Let's just do it. What do we need to do? Yeah. And, um, I don't know why it actually bothers me <laughs> sometimes. I just think to myself, I wish I could have, I wish I could have cried about it more. Um, and sometimes I do, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like a, um, also like I, like we said before, I'm a photographer, I have a very big female audience. And so for me, I did try to look at it as like, this is happening for me, not to me. And if I can look at it that way, then, then what I'm going through has to have some purpose. And if it has purpose, then that's not something to cry about, you know, for me, I'm not saying, you know, for anybody else. And obviously, thank God I'm, I'm okay. And I'm surviving and I don't have stage four and I'm hopefully yeah. cancer free. So I want to like put that into perspective, but knowing all of that and knowing that I can make a difference in the world, I tried to just look at it and say, okay, this is, I'm trying to have purpose here. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why I'm going through this. I don't know what it is at the moment, but that helped me sort of um, not fall 
so far into that black hole because that it's so easy, isn't it? To just kind of spiral down into a really dark place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that you kind of talked about uh, like alignment and toxicity in your book, and that was a huge part. And when I was going through the diet or through um, the treatment, not necessarily understanding all of your book at that time, Mm -hmm. but the part that really hit home for me was uh, this, your bullshit meter. (laughs) It was on high alert at all times. It says in your book and you talking about how not having any boundaries, not speaking your truths and not knowing how to say no are bad for your health. Period. Period. Uh, Then it goes into (laughs) toxic people. Mm -hmm. I love this. So your book was so inspiring that I literally like removed seats from my table when I read this, mm-hmm, like good for you. instantly. So please talk about that because I think that the mind and body and having that alignment is a huge part of a healing process and a positive outcome to a really shitty situation. Yes. Um, my body after I had cancer reacted to things differently than it did before. I literally felt things in my body I couldn't ignore when somebody was not treating me kindly, when somebody was lying to me, when my boundaries were being broken, or when I didn't know how to put up a boundary and I was floundering with that. I felt it in my body in a different way. It was almost like a fight or flight Mm -hmm. mechanism. And, you know, to live with adrenaline pumping through your body all the time is not a good thing. It's not healthy for your body. And, um, look, I want to say this, I I don't want to talk about it too much, but I take my own advice and this, this, um, process is ongoing and I filed for divorce in October and, um, I'm trying hard not to say too much about it because we are in litigation right now. So it's, I have to be really careful, but you know, when you, you really do have to kind of look at the people that you spend the most time with in your life and how are you, how is that relationship for real? Mm -hmm. And, and cancer made me really look at like, okay, what's the reality, not the situation that I'm living in where I think somebody means well, oh, they mean well, or, oh, it's not that bad. Or I can put up with it. All the things that I was able to sort of take on and put up with and brush under the rug. I couldn't do it anymore. I just physically couldn't do it. My body was screaming. And, um, I just think it's really important. You know, we talk about the first thing anybody says to you when you get cancer, I don't know if you've heard this, but like, Oh, are you using a different deodorant now? Are you eating your blueberries? Are you, you know, is your makeup toxic? Is your food, are you organic? And I'm like, listen, organic berries and all that shit is all great who are the people you're spending the most time with and how do you feel around them? Because that's the biggest toxic thing that's going on in your life. I guarantee it. I don't care who you are, you know, what your situation is, you know, you, you are your own advocate in that way. I learned how to set boundaries and I have to tell you, setting boundaries is the most freeing thing in the entire world. I was always scared of it. I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings setting boundaries has strengthened every strong relationship that I had or every good relationship that I've had. It's strengthened and every bad relationship I had has fallen off to the wayside because people like that don't respect your boundaries or understand your boundaries. And then they show their true colors. It's such an amazing process. It's not easy, by the way, it's not easy, but, um, I feel so much healthier without that around me. And you know what? Brownies and I'm sorry, I was going to say blueberries are great. And, and, you know, um, all the organic things and all that is great. I'm also going to eat a brownie Mm -hmm. and I'm going to eat pizza and I'm going to have a drink once in a while because life is too short. And 
um, you know, as far as the toxicity is concerned, I'd rather take out toxic people than brownies. That's just, <laughs> I'm, so I'm totally with you there. I'm completely with you there. Um, that, that was just so, that was so, so huge. And I think, you know, people that are not going through cancer or haven't been through, this is such a life lesson to think about now. And this is something that I talk about with, um, with my team, right? You are alike with the, what, what is it? The five people that you surround yourself with. Like that is such a big part. Who are you giving your energy to? Mm-hmm. What energy are they giving back? And how is it affecting your life in a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Well, that energy they're giving back is so important too. I mean, when I was diagnosed, I had a friend. So, okay. I have, I have a very, very, very good friend of mine who was just diagnosed with, with a triple negative this week shocking, like out of nowhere. And she sends me every day, you know, we're trying to find some humor in it all. So every day she sends me messages from people that say things like, um, you should go to Mexico because they have better treatment there and alternative treatment about, you know, or whatever people are saying. And she was like, how did you manage all of this? Mm-hmm. And I gave her some tips on how to manage it, which I talk about in the book, obviously yeah. the thank you, but no, thank you. Um, but the, the, I, I totally lost my point. Cause I still have chemo brain. It's still, oh my God. Brain. It's so let's talk about chemo brain. Cause okay. it's like a real serious thing. <laughs> so real. Oh my God. Right. The point will come back to me. It's maybe, maybe one in the morning <laughs> <laughs> now. Okay. So you've got a podcast. So mm. were you podcasting through treatment? Um, that's a great question. I don't remember. I don't think so. I think I started the podcast after but the podcast, so let me like um, separate this a little bit. The podcast that I have out there now is called Shamelessly Feminine. It's yes. for the kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass, okay? And I think I did that after cancer, but I am starting a new podcast okay. that's about life after breast cancer. So stay tuned for that. That's coming okay. soon. Do you have yeah. a name for it that we can- It's probably going to be called What the Fuck Just Happened. Perfect. Okay, good. <laughs> just so we can, we can add cancer. that in. Awesome. Um, but with the whole chemo brain, because we, I didn't tell my team at the beginning- so Becca was the only one that knew in my entire team. And um, I continued on with like regular life and regular meetings. Thank God for the pandemic. Cause I was able to kind of hide, yeah. but we would start on this podcast and I would start talking and I was like, Oh my God, I have no idea what I was just saying. Or I repeat mm-hmm. myself all the time. And I'm sure like Becca gets random emails that I've sent four or five times and just yeah. doesn't say anything. Yeah. Right. But like it's <laughs> chemo brain is, it is a serious thing it's real. And I, I lose words and I lose track of what I'm saying a lot. And, you know, it, it's made me actually a very rude person. Cause sometimes I interrupt people. I already did it to you because I'm like, I have to get this thought yes. out. This is gonna, I'm going to lose it. You don't understand. I'll forget. Yeah. But we do a lot of charades in my house. Like, you know, what's that thing that in the hallway, it has yeah. doors and the, we store the towels in there. It's a linen closet. Yes. It's a linen yes. closet, you know, <laughs> my God. Yeah, it's a real thing. And, you know, my dad had cancer. Um, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and Okay. So like 2018 was going to be my year, which wasn't my year because obviously I was in, you know, hell with my post cancer life. And then 2019, it was like, Oh, this is going to be my year. And my dad was diagnosed with cancer January 2nd or 4th, something like that. Um, and he also had chemo and he also says to me, like, I can't, I just can't remember certain things or I can't think of a word. And I do a lot of public speaking and I'll sometimes say to my audience ahead of time, I'm so sorry if I lose my thought or I lose a word, it's not because I'm not engaged with you. I just can't keep certain things in my brain. Yeah. And how long ago has it been since you had chemo? I finished in 2017, December 27th, 2017. So, so it's, it's like been three and a half years. Oh my God. Wow. 
I think it changes it forever. I really believe that. And these are, these are the things that, you know, you, you go into your cancer journey and you're like, I just, I just want to save my life. How do I save my life? I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Yes. And then after you think, well, if I knew that, would I have done this? If I knew that, would I have done that? Maybe, but mm-hmm. maybe not. And, and I just feel that the doctors are not um, always giving full disclosure on everything, you know? Right. Not all doctors, but some, some doctors that I've experienced, I don't feel like I've had really full disclosure on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, silly things, not even just um, chemo, but like, do you want to go under the muscle or over the muscle? Here's the advantage and disadvantage here. It was just like, this is how I do it. Here you go. And I was like, yeah. okay, I trust you. You're the doctor. <laughs> you know what's going on here. Um, but it's, it's tough. In hindsight, I probably would have made some different decisions. I was going to ask, was it, would there be anything that you would change looking back now? You know, chemo, I was right on the border. If I needed chemo or not, I okay. probably still would have done it. I just wish I would have taken more time to make an informed decision versus a, a scared decision. Of course. Um, reconstruction also was something I maybe uh, not that I wouldn't have done it, but I, I wished I had researched the doctors more than I did. What happened was I went to Sloan Kettering for my um, mastectomy and my reconstruction. I trusted my breast surgeon in pointing me to a plastic surgeon. He was a jerk. She warned me he was a jerk. And I said, okay, I don't care if he's, I don't need to like the guy. He just needs to do a good job. Um, I didn't really research him that much. I trusted her. I figured he's at Sloan. How bad could he be? He's the head of breast surgery or whatever his, his stupid title was. And, um, he did a horrible job. And then when he did a horrible job said to me, just be happy you're alive. I've seen worse. And I was like, what is going on here? He was the first person. Yeah. Right. (laughs) He was really the first person I set a major boundary with when I walked out of his office. I mean, I I had a little bit of help because one of the nurses was like off the record, go get another opinion. Um, but I, I was terrified to walk up to the front desk and say, I want to see a different surgeon because I felt like I was betraying him. And like, you know, they all saved my life and I owe them a debt of gratitude. Um, but leaving him was the best thing I ever did. And, um, you know, I, I used a different surgeon at Sloan, which also didn't work out. And then I left Sloan altogether, which was also a tough thing for me to do, uh, and found a surgeon, Dr. Israeli in Great Neck, New York, shout out to him. Cause he's amazing. Uh, he changed my life, you know, cause he heard me, he was empathetic, he understood and he gave me my wholeness back. And yeah. so I wish I had done a little bit more research, but you know, when you're faced with something and your doctor says, what are you doing in a week? Are you ready to cut your boobs off? You're just like, okay, just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. I loved that part of your book because you talked about changing, changing doctors right there and self-advocating for yourself on, you know, this is what I'm going to do. Um, my kind of similar situation, very different, a whole different scale. Yours was very, very much larger, but I had a really tough time asking if I could have Botox again. Mm. Cause I remember oh being, my God, how dare you want to look good after cancer? You are so narcissistic. Yes. Oh. Yes. And it was very hard for me. It took like three appointments with my oncologist, like regular checkups. And my fiance came to all of them and he, he was like, I was waiting and you didn't. And I said, how do I ask her that when I'm alive? Because we, we get into this whole thing of like, oh my God, she saved my life. She saved my life. I'm alive. Why am I worried about what I look like? I'm alive. It was, it took me three separate appointments to finally. And then she was like, I'm retiring. I'm closing my practice. I was like, oh my God, can I have Botox? 
<laughs> That's amazing. Like, okay, you're leaving now. Can I ask you? Yeah. You know, I felt that way when I, I mean, I had four surgeries, four reconstruction surgeries and everybody would say to me, another one, another one. Even my ex said to me at one point, I'm starting to worry about you. And I was like, what are you accusing me of being a plastic surgery addict? Like my chest looks like <laughs> shit. And you know what? I'm 40 something years old. I have, I have a right. Forget what it looks like to anybody. I don't care what it looks like to you or you or you. If I don't feel good when I look in the mirror, I have yeah. a right to that. Okay. That is my, my right as a human, as a breast cancer survivor, and as a patient that I have a right to feel good about what I see in the mirror. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. I have rippling. I don't have, you know, I don't have sensation. Of course my breasts aren't perfect, but you know what? Every time I go into my closet and I have to change and I see myself in the mirror, I don't feel miserable every single time. I don't have that daily reminder. Like I used to have of like, how horrible this is. What do I buy? What do I wear? What do I do to make this look decent? I can't wear this kind of dress anymore. I can't, you know, and now dating or, or putting myself out there in the world like that, it's scary. So, um, yeah, I felt that shame and I have felt it within myself too. Like, well, I don't really have a right to ask for another surgery because I'm alive. I should just be, I should just be grateful. Yeah. But you know what, when I met Dr. Israeli and he did hit the surgery and I, for the first time looked in the mirror and saw somebody I recognized, I was like, oh, now I get it. It's not about what you look like. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's about how you feel and yeah, you should get Botox because you know what, if it makes you feel good, good, do it. You just got to do it. Makes you feel good. Do what makes you feel alive. And we have to shut out that judgment from everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I like that. I want that message to be so clear from this podcast that you can ask and go back to whatever you were doing before. If Botox made you happy, if plastic surgery made you happy, if lip filler made like whatever that looks like, that is okay to go back there and be right. your true self. Right. And we have to get rid of this. Like, well, I'm alive. Right. And now I should be like granola and like, you know, j- n- nothing wrong with it, but I'm just saying now we have to live a certain way. Like we're, there's this like expectation that, oh, you're living post-cancer. You should live a certain way. Yeah. You know, even before when you were saying um, that you were, that when you were going through treatment, you were able to hide a little bit. I was not able to hide. It was obviously before the pandemic. I did save my hair. I did cold capping. Oh, you did? Uh, Yeah. So I saved about 60% of my hair. I still, still a lot of it fell out. But if you didn't know me, you wouldn't know because I have a lot of hair and it thinned quite a bit, but nobody would know. So I would go out looking just like this. And I would get a lot of, but you look so good, but you look good. So you should be fine. Like people, I think, didn't understand how sick I was, number one. And number two, we're really changing the face of what cancer looks like now, right? Like I always thought that cancer looked like sitting at home, frail, throwing up, bald. Now women are like, I had chemo last week. Next week, I'm going to run a marathon. I had chemo last week. I mean, I remember I was traveling during uh, my off weeks at times. I spoke at a convention and I remember thinking like, should I go? Maybe I shouldn't go. And and my doctor was like, no, if you feel okay, you should go. And I was like, okay. And I felt guilty for going because I wasn't like doing the thing a cancer patient does, but that's changing now. You know, it's changing. I'm not saying that we're not suffering or it's not difficult, but we're like, okay, I'm bald or whatever. And I'm still going to put my lipstick on and I'm going to go yes. out to the PTA meeting and I'm going to go out to dinner with my friends. And just because I am I have cancer doesn't mean I have to sit home and be miserable. Yes. Um, but that's a new, it's a new um, story. You know, it's, it, it's been like that. It hasn't been like that for very long. No. It's, a new, it's a new plot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I read, uh, I think it was like, 
Cosmo magazine or something just posted the top trends for haircuts for 2021 were buzz cuts and pixie cuts. And I uh, went, you're screenshot, thank you, cancer, because I wouldn't have tried it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And it looks awesome on you, by the way. Well, this is one of my wigs. So oh, I bought, well, I you look awesome. In all different stages of growth. I just like grew out just a little bit. So as I was, you know, conducting these meetings on Zoom, the, the team was like, oh my God, I can't believe you chopped off all your hair. You're such a badass. And I was like, okay, moving on. Cause I'm the worst liar. <laughs> I was like, okay, so next topic here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks good. I didn't Thank know it was you. a wig. It looks amazing. Yeah. yeah no, I, I, I lucked out. I lucked out with that for sure. Um, so talking about being busy and stuff in your book, you talk about, I'm going to quote it, looking back, it took a good 12 to 18 months to start feeling normal, start feeling more like myself after chemotherapy. I no longer plowed through when I was tired, when I was making plans, I was sure that I planned accordingly and didn't do it. Yeah. So is that life pre and post? Correct. Do you feel this ever where you're like doing something, you're functioning, you're like having a great day. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm done now. <laughs> Like, yeah. I'm shutting down now. I still have it to this day. I mean, even just the other day, I was at my parents' house and we were, you know, we were visiting with the kids and I was just like, I'm so sorry. I'm having a moment. I have to go lay down for like 10 minutes. I just, there are, my body speaks to me differently now than it did before. Or maybe I'm just listening now. I don't know. I, yeah. I, you know, or maybe it's a combination of the two, but I have moments of just shut down. Like I have to shut down right now, recharge. Sometimes it's even just laying down for five minutes or yeah. it's meditating or it's breathing or it's having a cup of tea or it's just not planning my day as packed as I used to before. Um, I have to be really cautious of that. And I'm, um, I don't know, maybe it's, I'm getting older. <laughs> I don't know, but it could be a combination of all the things, but I just have moments like even in the afternoons, often I will say to my kids, like, I need 10 minutes, just give me 10 yeah. and I'll be better after that. Um, yeah. And I, I work my day around it sometimes. Yes. I know, I know it's going to happen or I know if I'm, you know, I'm on tamoxifen, I take Lupron shots, I'm in menopause. There is no sleep in menopause. There's no, like, nobody's ever like, I'm in menopause and I feel like so much better. Right. So it's like, I know I'm not going to sleep great. I know that, you know, I get tired or whatnot. So I'm, I'm more cautious of that now. Yeah. Was the menopause chemo induced? So I did have chemo pause, but then, um, when they put me on Lupron, that definitely sealed the deal. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so kind of going back to your day and plowing through, like you did before, um, one of the things that I had noticed was before when I was healthy, I used to pack my day so full that when I would come home at night and sometimes it was like midnight after a meeting or something, there would be like a trail of clothes up to my room. Cause I would like literally just strip them off like take a wet wipe and just like take off my makeup. And my body was so exhausted. Like I didn't even have the energy to like properly wash my face. Mm -hmm. And I remember like being diagnosed and I don't know if you had this too, but being like going through the chemo and, and everything and being like, Oh my God, what was I doing to my body here when I was well and healthy and mm -hmm. I could do everything. Like I, I was damaging myself here. Yeah. You know, I still do it. I'm not going to lie to you. I had, um, I had an infection in my right breast in January, uh, seven weeks after reconstruction surgery. So I had, I had my last surgery was in December, 2020. Uh, I woke up one day, not feeling well in January. And I thought to, I had a little fever and I was like, great, I have COVID how stupid and annoying, you know, and I was supposed to get a COVID test that night because I was like, Ugh. and I just like mostly slept all day. 
And I respected myself enough to go, you know what? I'm not even going to take off my pajamas. I'm just going to get back into bed. Well, at five o'clock PM, when I went to shower to go get my COVID test and I took off my top, I realized one of my breasts was like twice the size of the other. And it was like Mm. flaming red and it was hot to the touch. And I was like, oh, that doesn't look good. I sent a picture to my plastic surgeon and he was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like you had surgery six weeks ago. Puts me in the uh, hospital, obviously, because I have to treat the infection. And he sat me down and said to me, look, I'm going to be really honest with you. People that get infections six weeks after surgery are because they're wearing themselves down because your body can't fight it. So what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And he was hundred percent right. I was burning the candle from all ends, not just two. I mean, 18, you know, I'm going through a divorce. I have two kids that, that I'm trying to take care of. I'm trying to keep my business afloat yeah. during COVID. I'm under a tremendous amount of stress, you know, um, And he just said, what are you doing now? Look, now you're going to be in the hospital for a few days. Now you're going to be on two weeks of IV antibiotics. There's no working out. There's no, this There's no, that, what are you doing to yourself? And he was right. He was right. And I even just felt it this weekend. Like I I had, I just came off two weeks of travel. I haven't traveled and worked in a long time, obviously came off of two weeks of travel. Again, the stress of the divorce, the stress of being a mom and organizing the schedules and the, the whole thing. And over the weekend, I was like, I just don't feel good. And, and by the way, this is another topic, the PTSD of like, every time you don't feel well, you think, oh my God. Right. So I spent the whole weekend thinking I had cancer, God forbid. And on Sunday, I just said to myself, you know what? You don't have cancer. You just need to slow it down. Just relax. Just de-stress yourself. Like, what do you need right now? And, you know, I made some changes. I know it's only Wednesday, but I've made some changes. I feel so much better this morning. I was like, I feel so much better. I don't feel as mentally, you know, physically drained. I don't feel as like chaotic in my brain. I just needed to listen. Yes. So yeah, yeah. it's not to say that we're not going to do it. Women especially are busy. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We're busy, but you have to listen. Do you think that you would have listened if you weren't diagnosed? If you just went about your life, everything was fine. Cancer never happened. Can I be honest with you, Luba? I didn't listen. And that's why I got cancer. I'm convinced of it. Oh my God. I totally feel the same way. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of the toxicity that I was around and the way I treated myself because I don't have any other reason to have had cancer. The only thing that I have is a reason for my body not to have fought cancer. And, uh, cause you know, we all, we, we all get cancer at some point in our lives. Everybody has cancer cells in their body. It's just, is your body strong enough to fight it? Mine was not. And it's because I went through certain traumas and I went through, you know, I was wearing myself down and I have to remember that cause I don't want to be there again. Yeah. I participated in, um, like, like a group, what do you call it? Like a Oh my God, chemo brain. Here we go. Um, like a trial, like a study. Act it out. Act it out. We'll <laughs> we have to do charades. Um, yeah. So they got me to do a whole bunch of them, obviously, because of my age and the type and all of this. And even though I went to, you know, my oncologist was like, people are going to tell you all sorts of shit. And this is what I loved about her on my first kind of meeting with her. She goes, yeah. they're going to tell you stuff like you got cancer because you chose not to have children. You have cancer because you grew up oh. near the power lines. You have, you know, she was like, they're going to come at you with everything. There is no reason you're not a smoker. You're not a drinker. You're, you're young overall. You're healthy. There's, there's not a reason. I completely lost my train of thought. It's okay. I said to you that I I got, it's okay. I think I I got cancer because I don't (laughs) listen to my body. We're literally going to call this just chemo brain. This right. Yeah. Um, so, so she told me that, so I I found that very interesting and very helpful. And as I was going through the study, 
at the end of it, because it took months and months, the very last question that I got in the study was, why do you think you got cancer? Oh, wow. And the first thing I wrote was stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. You know, I have a friend um, who just went through a divorce, difficult situation without throwing her under the bus. And I used to say to her, like, I think I got cancer because of my situation, because of this or because of that. And she would say to me, come on, Jen, this is a medical thing. It's not an emotional thing. And so she just went through her divorce and her, her papers were not even dry yet. The ink was not even dry. And she was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And she came back to me and said to me, fuck, I think you're right. And I was like, yeah, you know, like what we put this stress that we put ourselves under and that other people put us under, we have to learn how to manage that. It's again, it's the adrenaline. It's the, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I I think so. Or like, I don't know what the hormones are, serotonin or whatever, whatever the cortisol, thank you. That's the one, you know, (laughs) whatever the, they are. I mean, I feel it in my body now. It's, it's just different. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Another part of your book that I love um, is when you wrote the best thing about intuition, AKA your invisible friend. Yeah. I love that term, your invisible friend. Yeah. You know, I think doing that um, depersonalizes it, right? Because mm-hmm. if I, if you ask me for advice on something, Luba, that you know, like in your gut is already telling you a certain way. And then I come along and I say to you, you know what I think? If you want my opinion, I think this. And you're like, oh, that aligns with my gut great. I'm going to take her advice. But if it's just your gut, we often go, Shh, you don't know what's good for yeah. me. Yeah. But she does know what's good for you. So if yeah. we can sort of like make her like not depersonalize it, it's not part of you. It's like something else. Then I think we're more often, um, we, we have the tendency to listen to it more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got to tell you, my gut is always right. Always. always, always. I always say that when I don't listen, it, it always fucks me in the end. Always. And that's when you start feeling out of alignment and you start feeling stress and then you start beating yourself up. I should have listened to myself. Now I don't trust myself. Now you're breaking the trust. It's a, it's a very serious thing. I I really believe that because I, you know, there is a reason why there's an expression, women's intuition, right? It is the strongest muscle in our body for Mm -hmm. sure. And, um, every time I don't listen to it or, you know, it's even with minimal things where I'm like, damn, I should have done that. I just, I knew I should have worn that out for today, or I should have taken that way down the road or whatever. Right. Even if it's something really small, it's like, okay, why am I not believing her? Why don't I not believe her more? I need to fix that relationship. Yeah. Invisible best friend. I love it. You also say having your intuition on your side also helps manage stress and helps in healing the mind body connection. Managing stress is critical at all times, but especially post cancer. Yeah, I'm so smart. You're so. This book, <laughs> I'm telling you, this. I need to book, read my own book right now. No, so, it is so incredible. Like I've literally highlighted so much where we could just go. Oh my god! Like yes, yeah, so it's just it's so incredible. Any this is the perfect gift for someone that is going through cancer or post-cancer. I know that one of my girlfriends had contacted me and she said, I didn't know what to get you. Like, what do you get someone that like, I wanted to give you something that was more than a card. This book, people you need to buy, Jen, where can they find it? Where can they download it? You're so sweet. Amazon. Okay. It's in print and Kindle. Um, yeah, Amazon. It's, it's literally the most incredible. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. I love, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I have to say it really means so much to me because I think that, um, 
Um, I'm going to be honest, I haven't done much with the book just because of the pandemic and everything else going on in my life. And it's something that I really want to explore this year. So I really appreciate the feedback and I'm glad that it helps because, you know, I joke that I need to read my own book, but I do sometimes I do mm-hmm. because it brings me back to, oh, right. I remember, you know, the, the, the further away we get from our diagnosis, the more we sort of fall back into old patterns. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I have to say that I didn't want to let go of with cancer and part of why I took so many photos so I could remember everything was like that fear of, am I living my best life? Am Mm -hmm. I, if I was on my, I talk about it in the book, if I was on my deathbed now, can I look back at my life and say, I have no regrets or, you know, I did the right Mm -hmm. thing. And sometimes we lose track of that. We get so caught up in the daily bullshit, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's where I am now. I'm not going to lie to you. I think like going through a divorce and everything, you get so caught up in the daily grind. Yeah. Okay. What's the bigger picture here? The bigger yeah. picture is joy and happiness and fulfillment. Um, all of these little things are important in the moment, but they don't mean anything in the long run. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I said too, that, you know, when I was diagnosed and it took a while to get there, but I said, I'm so happy that I got, got diagnosed at 40 right. instead of 80. Right. Because I don't want to be on my deathbed being like, what the fuck did I just do with my entire life? Like now I can truly live and make those changes to have a really healthy and happy life. Yeah. I have certain moments of excitement about it. Like I ha- listen, I have a lot of moments of panic, like, oh my God, I'm going to be single. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be, uh. and then there's moments of like, oh, wait a minute. I can like completely create my life the way I want it to be. Thank God I have this perspective to base it on yeah. because I don't know what I would have done without it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your photography and yeah. how you've really kind of taken it to this whole new boudoir level of women with, you know, missing breasts or missing a breast or double mastectomies or whatever. And you've really empowered that. And that's one thing that I realized when I was going through everything and I was, I was blessed. I was able to, to keep my, my natural ones. Um, But so many women were just hunched over or wearing big coats or sweaters and so embarrassed of their bodies. And I love how you have been able to celebrate, um, what they've went through. And I just want you to talk about that and the importance and how people can book with you if they want to do a photo shoot and and all of that. Sure. Happily, I'll talk about it. Um, You know, there's no, there's no irony or there's a tremendous amount of irony. I should say there's no coincidence that uh, I'm a boudoir photographer who lost her breasts. Um, It's weird. (laughs) And um, at the same time, it's prepared me for this. Um, when I found out that I needed to have a mastectomy, I started Googling before and after photos. And I have to tell you what I saw was horrendous and frightening. And it was the scariest part of the whole thing for me. It was like, what am I going to look like? And then when it turned out that I didn't look great, I was like, oh crap, I'm going to end up being like one of these women that, you know, that are like a horrendous story of before and after. And um, I was really, really, really scared. There was no, and it's changed so much in the last four years, but at that time, I wasn't enmeshed in the community. I didn't really know of the community. I didn't know where to look for community. I didn't know who to talk to. You know, the plastic surgeon shows you before and after photos, which are obviously their best work, which even those were scary. You know, it was like, what is happening here? So for me, I thought to myself, okay, look, I have an ability here to take self-portraits, which is what it started with, take self-portraits, 
to show people what real breast cancer bodies look like, um, to normalize a breast cancer body. You know, I needed to have drains. I didn't know what a drain looked like until I had one. You know, I looked it up a million times, but I was like, I just don't understand. Like, where is it coming from? Is there going to be like a hole in the side of my body? Like, I don't understand how a drain works. So I took pictures of all of it and I shared it. And that's another thing where everybody says, you're so brave. I'm like, is it brave or is it just purposeful? Because it's not easy for me to share it. I I post pictures and I run. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe my next door neighbor is going to see my bare chest, you know? But, uh, you know, I'll be at the grocery store and some random person will be like, oh my God, I love your last post. And I'm like, you basically know what I look like naked, you know, like it's, it's because it's not just your, it's just out there. It's in your real life, you know? Um, but it's, for me, it was like, I can normalize breast cancer bodies. And if I want other people to, to bear themselves in front of the camera, I have to do it too. So it became sort of like a bigger project for me. And really what I want to be known as, I'm just going to put it out there in the universe. I want to be known as the woman who takes your picture after breast cancer. I want to be like that person because I understand you and I feel you. Um, You know, I had an, I'll just tell you a really fast story. I was in Dallas a few weeks ago teaching um, a boudoir photography class and um, that Okay. So it's the way that this structure works. It's a five-day class. I have the same 20 students for five days and we had had booked, um, I just put like five hats in there. We had booked a, a hotel room, a hotel suite where it was like a downstairs and an upstairs. The upstairs had two bedrooms. Downstairs was beautiful. Great. I have two models. They're working with the models. And the woman who's in charge of the models came to me and said, one of the, there's a woman here whose child is modeling for the event. And she's a breast cancer survivor and wants to know if maybe you have a half an hour to shoot her. And I was like, hundred percent, I do like, that's fine. So she came in, I am not kidding you already crying. I am not, she had pretty much just finished chemo. She had very little hair. Um, she had one breast removed, not the other because they wouldn't let her remove both because of COVID, which is the dumbest fucking thing I ever heard. I can't even deal with that. Um, her husband left her like four days after she was diagnosed. I mean, it was like, just, it was a shit show. And she came in and she said to me, I don't really know if I want to do this. Like, I want to do this. I asked to do it, but I'm not really sure I'm ready to do it because I feel very ugly and rejected and awful. And it was, you know, my students were all there. So I said to everybody, okay, listen, you guys go shoot on your own. I'm going to take her and I'm going to go upstairs in the second bedroom for half an hour and I'll be back downstairs. And we had a whole conversation and you know, I explained to her, she knew I was a breast cancer survivor, but I explained to her like, you know, a little bit about my journey and that also I was going through a divorce and whatnot. And she said, you know, I just don't know, like, I don't know what it's going to look like if I'm reconstructed. And I was like, here, I'll show you. And I like took my shirt off, you know, and I was like, here, this is what my breasts look like. I don't know if you'll look like this, but this is, I want you to see like, this is normal. You can feel them. You can touch them. You can squeeze them, whatever you want to do. And we just had a lot of conversation. And then she came downstairs after the shoot. And she was a totally different person. She was just like, oh my God, I'm so, I'm so happy and I'm so beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. And for me, it was very normal. Like it was a very normal interaction. I didn't really think much of it until my students said to me, it was mind blowing to see how she went up there one way and came down another person completely in a half an hour. And I was like, you see, that's what I want to do. That's my purpose here. That's what I want to do. And then, and then to be able to use those photos to show the rest of the world, if they choose to, I never force my clients to sign a model release, but if they want to show, look, you can be beautiful. You can be feminine. You can be sad. You can be all of those things and also not have breasts. 
because, yeah. you know, I mean, I have mounds, I have implants, but I don't have breasts, you know, it's like, right. so that's what I want to do. That's what I'm put here for. I'm convinced of it. There's no way this all worked out this way for, or, you know, any other reason. So mm-hmm. um, how can they book a shoot with me? The best yes. way is really to just reach out to me on Instagram or email or on my website, jenrosenbaum.com. Um, you know, I just, I just want to do as much of that as I possibly can. And your Instagram is Jen Rosenbaum or at just Jen Rosenbaum. Yeah. With Perfect. A R-O-Z-E-N. And, you know, I, th- I think that the, one of the reasons that the pictures are so important, by the way, and were important for me, like I said before, is to connect me back to that feeling of, you know, who I was during that time, because I don't want to lose that person either. You know, I just, I just don't want to lose that that angst, even though it was a hard time, I, I don't want to lose it. You know, I, I talked about in the book, uh, the longest seven minutes of my life, I think it was, or the, you know, where I thought that maybe I had cancer again. And in the seven minutes between when I had the, um, the sonogram and the doctor came in to tell me everything was fine. I had already planned my whole life. Yes. You know? Yes. Cause we worry about 80% of the stuff that never happens. Right. But that feeling of fear, I was like, shoot, I am disconnected from it. And sometimes I want to be more connected to it. I want to remember that life is short and, you know, we have to do what we have to do while we're here to enjoy it and while we are healthy. Oh my God. It's just such a blessing that you even answered my, my DM. And that was when I was going through treatment. And then I, I think I ghosted you for, I think I said, I was going through treatment. Things weren't going well for several months. And then I reached out. I was like, she's going to think I'm a flake. So thank you for responding and not thinking that I'm a flake. This has been one of the best podcasts that we've had. um, And we've been doing it for over a year now. So thank you so much people buy her book, download (laughs) it. What the fuck just happened? This is for anyone that has been through it, anyone that you know that is going through any sort of um, cancer treatment. If you want to get a gift for them, this is the gift. Please buy it. You can follow you on Instagram, Jen Rosenbaum. I'm not, (laughs) I'm like freaking myself out. J-E-N-R-O-Z-E-N-B-A-U-M. Please follow her. You are hilarious on, you've got great reels. You're fabulous in front of the camera all the time. So when you say like, it's really hard for you, it doesn't come across that way, but I know that it's very hard. Um, I am, I, by the way, nobody believes me, but I'm like the biggest introvert and people are always like, no, you're not. I'm like, no, I am. Like, I couldn't do it in front of anybody else. But the fact that I just do it in my living room allows me to to, like do whatever I want. And then I'm like, ah, nobody's going to see it. You know? And then, like I said, I go to the grocery store and someone's like, I love your reels. And I'm like, ah, girl, I guess Becca comes over to my place once a month and we bang out like 10 videos. So she tells me what's trending, what I need to do. I lock myself in my office. Yeah. And I do it myself. And then I'm like, I think I got it. Here you go. And I'm like, so embarrassed with it. I'm so embarrassed. So I get it. I don't. Yeah, it's so funny. I thank Perfect. you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank and you, you know, I, I do want to say, Luba, I would never, you know, even though you disappeared for a few months or whatever, in this community, you know, we are sisters before we even meet. And I would never, ever say to somebody like, where you been? You know, because we all sometimes have to sort of be turtles and go into our shell and do what we need to do and then come out when we're ready. And that's one of the things that I really understand so much about people now. And I know for me, I go into my shell quite often and just say, okay, I just need it to be me now and focus on me. But the truth is that the the community is the greatest gift that I've gotten from this journey. 
and I'm so glad that we have connected and, um, you know, everybody out there that's listening, that's gone through the same journey, um, you know, as women, we're all connected, but especially when you go through something so traumatic like this, we understand each other on a level that I don't even have with some people I've known for 20 years. So, um, I'm so glad you reached back out. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Becca, where can they listen and follow and do all the things? If you want to subscribe to our podcast, the best place to do that is on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Just search Between Both Cheeks. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at Between Both Cheeks. If you want to send us an email, send it to comments at betweenbothcheeks.com. And if you want to follow Jen, her name is Jen, R-O-Z-E-N. B-A-U-M and I'm pretty sure if you just search that up you'll find her everywhere. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much and good night.